Good morning. It is Tuesday, October 27th. You are listening to the College Football Daily. My name is Trey Scott. Today on the show, we've got Josh Pate, 24-7 Sports video host, late kick three times a week. Josh will be talking with me about his midseason top four, his his expectations uh, as to what's going to happen the rest of the year, who's overrated, who's underrated, who's on the hot seat, who's been the biggest disappointment, what George is going to do at quarterback, what Alabama is going to do without Jalen Waddell, who's the biggest threat to Ohio State. We have all of that stuff with Josh Pate. Uh, going to start real quick, though, by running you through a pickle that the Wisconsin Badgers have found themselves in at quarterback. If you're paying attention, Monday began, you entered you entered the work week knowing that Graham Mertz, the, the, the redshirt freshman who threw for five touchdowns in his debut as a starter on Friday night, tested positive for COVID-19 through the daily antigen testing, and the Badgers were awaiting a result of a PCR test to confirm whether that was a false positive or whether Graham Mertz is going to have to go into a, a 10-day isolation and a 21-day hiatus from games or practices per the Big Ten protocol. That's right. If you test positive for COVID and you're on a Big Ten team, you cannot play or practice for 21 days. So we're still waiting to see if anything will leak out about Mertz. Wisconsin and Coach Paul Chris said they just will not comment on that, it makes sense because of HIPAA law and violations and all that, all that stuff, and, and player privacy. Maybe something will leak out. Until then, Wisconsin got even worse news on Monday. The Milwaukee Journal Sentinel reported that backup quarterback Chase Wolf was not at practice on Monday either. So I don't know if this is COVID related. Is Wisconsin dealing with an outbreak in its quarterback room? Does Chase Wolf have a, a test that he was late for? Seems unlikely given that he would probably have to be the starter uh, Saturday against Nebraska if Graham Mertz is out. But this is this is really tough for the Badgers because if if both of these guys had had COVID or if if Jack Wolf is in or if in or if Chase Wolf is at least in contact tracing, the Badgers are down to their fourth string quarterback because don't forget, Graham Mertz was actually the second string entering the season. Number one is Jack Cohn. And I think Wisconsin fans would honestly tell you that, hey, Jack Cohn's injury, we wish him well, season-ending variety, did a good job last year, but Graham Mertz gives this offense a little bit more of potential, lifts this team up, which they really need because they lost Jonathan Taylor. They don't have very many proven wide receivers. But they could really use Jack Cohn now. They really could use Graham Mertz. Uh, the schedule is the Nebraska game should be a win. Nebraska, I don't think, is very good. Purdue, that's a tough game. Purdue looks pretty good. Uh, Purdue's got a lot of offensive firepower right now, it seems like. And then the Michigan game, I would really hope, and it would be unfortunate that you know, Graham Mertz would miss it, but, man, I'd like to see that be a good game because that that's Wisconsin's toughest test of the regular season, probably. That's Michigan's second biggest test, maybe third biggest test behind Ohio State and Penn State, depending on how you feel about the Nittany Lions. Man, it, it would be be really a shame to, to see uh, a really depleted Wisconsin uh, team take that field against Michigan on November 14th. But we will see. We'll keep you updated here on the College Football Daily. Uh, just you know, fingers crossed if you're a Wisconsin fan that you're not playing your fourth string quarterback for the next three weeks. All right, let's see what Josh Pate has to say. 
Okay, Josh Pate time. Josh, what's going on? Hey, before we get started, I know you dabble in health and fitness, and I wanted to to get your thoughts. I've been thinking about this for a few days now. Travis Etienne, the Clemson star running back, got banged up like three times in that win over Syracuse, and maybe it was cramps, maybe it was a pull. He blamed it on his breakfast. He said that he was only eating frosted flakes that morning. So as a guy who probably works out like three times a day, what do you think about that? Pathetic. First off, Trey, it's Count Chocula season. So if you're going with a cereal, you go with Count Chocula. And for everyone out there who thinks it's retired and you can't find it anymore, or it has to be a special order item, they have it at the Brentwood Publix. They have it right now. They even have Booberry, which I think is a poser cereal, but they have Count Chocula. So if you're going to go pregame breakfast, you go Count Chocula. But what I think he did is, I think he probably went the skim milk option and didn't go pure vitamin D. And skim milk, as we all know, is essentially water pretending to be something it isn't. So I don't like I don't eat a whole lot before I go work out. Uh, I don't think I'd eat a ton before I played. Now, granted, I have not played running back for Clemson, but when I was a center fielder at Harris County High School, I didn't eat a ton before games. So I, you know, whomst am I to judge Travis Etienne? Yeah, Davo was like, look, man, we got eggs, we got bacon, we got grits, we got everything. Like, he he should probably be eating a little bit more uh, before the Boston College game. But anyway, I just, it just was, it was kind of funny. And uh, I, I saw someone say, like, if there was a name image likeness already, he would have a deal with Frosted Flakes at this point. So anyway, Josh, this is like the midseason point of the year for some conferences, right? It's like the Big Ten well, we're just a weekend there. We haven't even started the Pac-12. This season is absolutely uh, a mess to try to get a content a content grasp on. But apparently it is midseason for the Big 12, ACC, and the SEC. So I wanted to get you on and, and just kind of talk about the themes of the season and, and what you've been talking about on Late Kick three times a week and, and what your audience has been griping at you about if they have anything that, that you've said they, they take ex- exception to. I'm going to start, though, with your preseason top four. And I know we did preseason rankings like four different times. Um, and so this might not even be the, the correct version of your preseason rankings that you wanted me to cite. But you had, at one point, Alabama 1, Ohio State 2, Clemson 3, Oregon 4. Not having seen Oregon play yet and seen one Ohio State game, how do you feel about all of that? Same top three. I would put Georgia fourth, though. Um, I... And I, are those the playoff predictions that we did? Yeah, back in back in July. Um, but we, of course, redid it. Sorry, back in June. But we, of course, redid it when the uh, the Big Ten canceled. And we've done it. I talk about this season being a content bear. The off season was just a nightmare as well. That so yeah yeah that's that's like one version of it. June. Yeah, June was like one of the longest two years of my life this year. So I remember doing that, but I also remember thinking this is not like my power rating if that makes any sense so a playoff prediction is probably a playoff prediction because you can't put 17 sec teams in the playoff but right now yeah i'd go alabama ohio state clemson georgia as my top four teams understanding that's also not the way that i would formulate the playoff Mm -hmm. if we were to try and predict the playoff right now do you think georgia can beat alabama uh, in atlanta and do you think the the loss of jalen waddle might change that game. I think the loss of Waddle changes any game Alabama plays. Now, in terms of outcome, I only think it probably changes one, maybe two max, and I don't know what the other one would be. 
But, you know, it's a, it's a two-sided coin, as most coins tend to be, Trey, because you're asking about Waddle and you're asking, like, you remember the damage that the presence, just the mere presence of right. he and Monte Smith meant against Georgia. Um, but you also, you know, of course, on the other side of that coin have to ask, well, what is Georgia? Offensively, what are they by that time? Like, I wonder if we're looking at our games this weekend. Georgia plays at Kentucky this week. They play against Florida in Jacksonville next week. We, we have no clue what to make of the JT Daniels situation. And as we were talking about in our editorial meeting on Monday, like it's not one of those situations where it's sort of wink, wink, nod, nod, and some people behind the scenes know, and you'll know soon enough if you're the public. No, no one knows. I mean, people close to Georgia, as far as we can tell, don't know if JT Daniels is going to play Saturday, if he's going to be cleared by the Florida game, even if he is. Like, how do you feel about your your hope in a quarterback seeing his debut made against Florida? Like, if that's the case, and there's no buy. Like, Georgia just had their buy. So now it's it's the rest of the way. You're playing football games. So the answer is yes. They could beat them. Like They were competitive with them last time. It's just Georgia has found a way to go into, at this point, a patented shell against Alabama in second halves of games. I'd be shocked if they didn't have the lead anytime they played Alabama at the half. Second halves are something totally different. I will say this, though. You know, if you were watching the Bama-Tennessee game, and I don't think a whole lot of people were, when Waddle went down, there was a kid named Slade Bolden who came in. And I think maybe if you're not familiar with Alabama, you look at him and say, all right, well, he's just like a reserve guy off the bench. Bolden's a really good player. Bolden's a guy who's very versatile, too. They use him sometimes as a wildcat or the wild Slade. But also, he's a former high school quarterback, and he's a good player. He's a player who would be on the field for most teams. It's just most teams don't have Waddle and Smith and Mechie. So they have options there. They don't have another 4-3-3 guy, but they have some options there to where that coupled with the immense value that Najee Harris has in every phase of a running backs game, it still makes them very lethal offensively. So my point is you're still going to have to trade points with them to beat them. So I didn't know you last year, but last year I thought one of the more interesting storylines of the the season as we got closer to the playoff rankings was the battle uh, to not be the two seed in, in the playoff rankings, right? Like Ohio state got that and ended up playing a killer three seed in Clemson um, and LSU gets the one. I think this year is going to be the same story, Josh. One seed's going to have a really easy semifinal against, well, okay, maybe, maybe it won't be so easy. Maybe Georgia beats Alabama and Atlanta, but the, the one, the one versus four should be easy per usual two versus three, man, like Alabama versus Clemson, Clemson versus Ohio state, Ohio state versus Clemson again, like that you don't want to have to play in that game. You know, typically, the typical me last year or any year would say, pump your brakes, man. It's only October. But it really feels like it's setting up this way. It really feels like if you believe in the separation principle, which there clearly is in college football right now, and you believe that there's a line, whether it's past the number three team or four team or five team, there's a line. And above that line, you're just getting elite play every week. Well, Ohio State's above that line, I think. Alabama's above that line. Clemson's above that line. And so... If that's the case, then I think at that point, if you're talking about the chances that they're all going undefeated, well, that's where playing more games and or playing in a premier conference like Alabama is in right now, if that scenario were to play out, I think that virtually guarantees them the number one seed. Hmm. If everything, you know, if everyone held serve and everyone went undefeated. Uh, So I think you're right. Like that two, three would be a total and complete knife fight. 
And then you may have that number one seed playing. Uh, I, mean, I don't know, who, like, who are the candidates here? Maybe a G5 slips in, maybe a Pac-12 team's there. I, who knows what Oklahoma State's going to do? So I don't know. But, yeah, I think you're right about that. Oh, I can't believe you mentioned a G5. Okay, so you mentioned the the separation theory. You're talking about another theory, the theory of relativity. I don't know if that's actually how you framed it, Josh, but you said that like that's been one of the the themes for you this season. Like fans are in your DMs talking about relativity and and how can you compare or how you know uh, they the way they compare the SEC to to other conferences. What do you what do you mean by that as as far as relativity theory here? Well, Everything is relative. When you're ranking anything, anyone, any team, it's all relative to every other team in the ranking. Like if I were to, for instance, say Notre Dame's overrated, which I hear a ton. That's what I was talking to you about this morning. I get Notre Dame's overrated and I get the SEC's overrated. I've gotten that every week this season. And so it's okay to say that. And those things can be true. But the whole point is relatively uh, relativity and you bring that in, you say, relative to what? What is Notre Dame or who is Notre Dame overrated relative to? Because I haven't heard anyone, Trey, you can correct me if I'm wrong, I haven't heard anyone lobbying for Notre Dame to be in the top two or even the top three. What I do hear is, or what I do see and hear is Notre Dame in that four, five, six range, which is exactly where they belong. Like they're limited offensively. They've got a really physical offensive line, though. They have an absolutely cemented, hardwired identity. They know exactly who they are. They're really good defensively. It's very hard to score on them. And so if you put them in that four, five, six range, like what team is decidedly better than them based on your eyeball test that is not ahead of Notre Dame? I don't know how they're overrated. If someone's putting them number two, yeah, they're overrated. A number four, five, or six Notre Dame to me is not overrated, nor is calling the SEC at this point, it's early still, at this point, the best conference in college football. Like, who's better? What conference is better? So if you can if you can throw another conference out there at me and you can make a legitimate argument that, hey, this conference looks better in totality than the SEC, that's wonderful. I just don't see that. Just like I don't see, I don't see six or seven teams better than Notre Dame definitively right now. You know what's funny? I think might lend to that. And I, I can't really put my finger on why we all feel this way, but... The idea now that like there are three teams in college football who can win it all, it's 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 a little bit different than it used to be, right? And and so I think like back in the day when we were growing up, like the number six team, I don't know, like felt like more of a, a realistic contender. And now at number six is like just kind of part of this group that you place under the line of demarcation behind the Clemson and the Alabamas and the Ohio States and whoever else that season, like an LSU or Notre Dame in 2018, like might be in the mix. But really, if you have to, like if you're someone who's assigned to rank the top 25 every week, Josh, like you, you get to, you get to 18 and it's a crap shoot. But I also think there's just like a really blurry feeling around the, the bottom half of the, of the top 10, where I think the teams are pretty similar. And I think it's, it's, it should be understood that these teams aren't like they aren't the number six team in the country compared to like 15 years ago. Like there's just, they're just not really contenders anymore at number six. Well, it's like if you ever go to the beach, I mean, you walk out in the ocean and I mean, if you walk out there a little ways and you're in like chest deep or neck deep water, your body can feel the difference in water temperature just in that six feet or, or five feet or however tall you are. It's 
you can feel that the water that's touching your neck and chest is decidedly warmer than the water that you're, you're touching your feet. And that's the same way it is right now, only it's probably more extreme. Mm -hmm. uh, you crank the temperature up a lot more at the surface and lower the temperature a lot more. But the thing about it is, as you said, once you get past that warm layer, maybe it's two teams, maybe it's four teams, but once you get past that warm layer, it's like everything from number six to number 22, it, it may be a little warmer at six than 22, but it feels like the gap between one and six is infinitely larger than the gap between six and 22. Mm -hmm. And so uh, to me, that's why I almost, Trey, I, more so than ever this year, I've looked at every week and will continue to look at every week where we're not looking at a game involving those elite few. I'll look at those games as just one game seasons. Like Florida, for instance, plays Missouri Saturday. That's a one game season. LSU plays Auburn Saturday. That's a one game season. You could have a 25 point margin of victory there by someone who goes on to lose the very next week because that's the nature and the volatility of the sport below that certain line in the sand, even more so this year than I ever think we've seen before. The College Football Daily will be right back. Let's play some word association. I'm going to throw out a team or maybe a player or just like a an, uh, an award name. And I want to hear what you what you think of. We'll do we'll do about four or five of these, Josh, and then we'll get you out of here. All right, I'm gonna start though with with uh, the most disappointing team this season. This is like reverse word association. Yeah, so I'm gonna have to go more than one word. I, I mean, oh boy, I, I'm really disappointed in Texas. I'm yeah. supremely disappointed in Texas. Now that I think about it, I don't know why I waited that long. Uh, this was a situation, Trey, I don't know if you follow Texas football at all, but this was Never a situation yeah, this year where you and I, uh, back and forth, I started to refer to Texas as we in the slack rooms. That's how much I was on board with the premise, the idea that this was the year. Because I looked at it and I said the same thing about Florida. I've looked at it even more so with Texas. And I said, okay, here's the reason I'm going to buy in. Because if they don't do it this year, when would they ever do it? And the it is contending for the college football playoff and making the college football playoff. And it's just not happening. And it's great that they got a, a win against Baylor. That's wonderful. But I mean, I've told you this and I've said it on my show. I'll say it again. It's just a, a moot point or a mute point as some of my buddies like to say back home. It's a mute point at this point. I just, what I had in mind for them is out of the equation now and so it's kind of just white noise for me at this point. I know you can't think like that if you're in the program, but for me as an as an outside observer, it's just white noise at this point. I will forever be disappointed in Texas's 2020 efforts. Yeah, there's really nothing they can do to salvage this season. And I think, I, I hate to do this and it feels sacrilegious, but I'm going to put a lot of blame on Sam Ellinger, who spends most of every Saturday putting the team on his back and all those great things. But this is this is, according to Pro Football Focus, his worst season since his freshman campaign in 2017. So when we were picking Texas to win the Big 12 and make the college football playoff, we were doing it because they had a senior quarterback in Sam Ellinger, who well, was but, but, Trey, know, I mean, Tim Tebow, right? I mean, think about this, though. Like, how many, how many players who are in good, well-oiled systems where everything's built for them to succeed, how many players get worse in those systems? So we can look at it and we can say, okay, Ellinger's production has dropped off, but he lives in a world where you got to have pieces around you. I'm not even talking about the talent. Texas has got talent. I'm talking about the continuous revolving door on the coaching staffs that he's been a part of and the need, just like Bo Nix at Auburn, the need 
to continue to be developed. I don't, I know that you, you shoulder some of the blame and your in-game decision-making, like you shoulder the blame for that. Yes. I'm not arguing that, but is anyone under the misguided notion out there that everything else about the Texas offense has been set up for Ellinger to succeed and he's the one dropping the ball solely? Right. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's all been a massive disappointment. Okay. When I say the LSU Tigers, what do you think? Um, work in progress, I guess it would be my three words of association. I was of the opinion when they were coming into the season, I didn't, I did not feel good. Um, in the two weeks leading up, just everything I heard from there screamed, we're not ready yet. Not, we're not talented enough. And talent's a word that's thrown around so loosely these days. Like it takes a lot more than that to win a football game. I didn't think they were a team yet to put it bluntly. And I said that, and it got, of course, misconstrued. And what I meant was not necessarily a knock on LSU or Orgeron. I thought even in a COVID year, even within the context of COVID, I thought there were there was a set of circumstances presented to LSU that made it impossible to have a team ready to go by week one. And you saw that against Mississippi State. I mean, Leach's offense has done nothing since they played LSU. They lit LSU on fire. And so you know, week two, week three, you get into the season a little bit. My first point was, hey, I don't think they're a team yet. I don't think they've gelled. I think they are the gelatin that got put in the fridge five minutes ago. It's still liquid. Well, eventually, it's going to solidify a little bit. It'll get some texture to it. Now, the question becomes, as we look back on that South Carolina game, that could either be the lighting of a fuse, or it could just be like one little firecracker going off in isolation. And you look back in December and you say, man, remember when they skull drug South Carolina and a lot of people were fooled into thinking they had arrived. Nope. Turns out that was just one little blip and otherwise it was very inconsistent up and down and it was a throwaway season. So that's again, the nature of this year and the volatility of this year. You just don't know what to make of those kinds of performances. Jeremy Pruitt. Uh, crossroads. Philosophically at a crossroads. Pruitt. That's McConaughey of you. That was nice. Well, you know, in these COVID-19 times, Ray, I mean, what else is one to do? But think about this. Um, they are not good at quarterback, and I don't think that's any breaking news. The I think the crossroads philosophically for Pruitt comes in the idea that I think they've had some internal situations up there that reflect on his youth as a head coach. And that's not unique to Jeremy Pruitt. The entire landscape of college football these days is much different than 20 years ago, where if you were going to be the head coach at Tennessee, that means you've probably been the head coach a couple of places before that. And you cut your teeth, paid your dues, learned the tough lessons, worked your way up. Well, nowadays, your first head coaching job is at Tennessee or Georgia with Smart or Oklahoma with Riley or, or Day at Ohio State. And so point is, you still got to learn some of the hard lessons. You just do it in front of millions of people on the biggest stage that the sport has to offer right now. So with Jeremy Pruitt, I think that he had an idea in mind of how he wanted to build Tennessee and still does. To me, the trajectory they're on, if they were to get the perfect outcome based on their current building plans, I think it would be Georgia. Here's the problem. Georgia, like, is it, they are on their lines of scrimmage, defensively, running back depth, they are what Tennessee's trying to build to be. But Tennessee has not placed a premium on elite quarterback play. They just haven't. They don't have it. They have not recruited it. Like you hope Harrison Bailey is this. So he re it remains to be seen on him. But Georgia showed you 
that with a roster equal to Alabama's everywhere but quarterback a couple of weeks ago, it doesn't matter if you're equal everywhere else. you got to get it done at quarterback or else it doesn't matter. You can look at all the team talent composite metrics you want to. You can grade out evenly across the board. If they got a much better quarterback situation than you and you can't trade points, they're beating you by double digits. And so with Tennessee, I mean, this year notwithstanding, 2021 and beyond, what are they thinking? What is Jeremy Pruitt thinking right now when he kind of surveys his roster? Like, are, are they going to maintain the direction they're going? Does he feel comfortable with that? Or does he look around and say, you know, amidst all this other mess, we got to do a much better job at quarterback. If it means getting a transfer, we got to get a transfer. But if it means changing coordinator or quarterback's coach or my philosophy, whatever the case may be, like, I don't know how this sport does not grab you by the shoulders and shake you until you wake up if you if you don't already have that premium placed on elite quarterback play. Yeah, that makes sense to me. All right, uh, another reverse um, uh, another reverse one, Josh. Ohio State's biggest threat in the Big Ten? Themselves is the lazy answer. Um, I, I mean, I'd love to be able to make an argument for Penn State this week. I really would. But I just got done telling you, Hey, Tennessee, you're not going to beat Alabama. Or Georgia, you're not going to beat Alabama if you can't match points with them. Well, is Sean Clifford about to do that? Because I know Ohio State can score. And so they their toughest regular season game, at least as it looks at the moment, is Saturday at Penn State. Well, then you get to have fun with the idea of what Michigan could be by the end of the year. So I'm very I was very encouraged by what I saw from Michigan. And I don't think it's overreaction to be encouraged. It's okay to be encouraged after one week because I know you asked me about Ohio state, but I think the answer to this question is their biggest remaining hurdle will be Michigan. When the time comes, I think it's just encouraging with Michigan Trey to look and say, Hey, for better or for worse, at least it looks like they have completely married themselves to the idea of evolving the offense. And if it sputters this year, eventually it sputters, but at least they have embraced evolution offensively, which is not something you thought you'd be saying about Jim Harbaugh three years ago. Yeah. I, I like, I like the quarterback, Joe Milton. He's like a, he's like a battering Ram. Uh, I'm not going to compare him to Kylie. It's like, it's like when there's a big quarterback who, who can run comes along, it's, it's a Cam Newton, Cam Newton comparison. That's, that's obviously a little bit far-fetched, but I don't know who he reminds me of Josh. All right. Last one for word association. I've been kind of toggling who do I want to go to and you know should I diversify should I give you some ACC like I know we already talked about you know Texas being a a disappointment Um, so I'm going to kind of make this up in the air Josh I'm just going to say hot seat I'm going to say needs to win the rest of the season and not 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 win out but needs a pretty impressive performance hot seat man I I really think and I've been told otherwise, to be to be crystal clear. I've been told otherwise on this. But I really think Will Muschamp's got to do better this year. This year, not, not in years uh, to come. I think this year. Um, you know, we've talked about this. Everyone's talked about this at this point. If you believe, and it ultimately becomes truth, that COVID has bought everyone a, a grace period year, then okay, well, the answer to this question is irrelevant no matter what. I don't fully believe that. I think somebody out there, some athletic director, department, group of boosters is going to buck that trend and they're going to say, all right, well, since everyone else believes that, let's take this opportunity to put ourselves at the front of the line, which we'll never be at any other offseason. Like in a normal offseason, 
if I'm South Carolina and I have a job opening, well, if Southern Cal has one, like they're going to be ahead of me in line for whoever they want in the marketplace. Well, maybe this year everyone pumps the brakes. Okay, well, let me hit the gas and make a decision that I view as an inevitability in the future anyway. And at that point, I'm at the front of the line for all these hotshot coordinators or high profile G5 coaches, maybe someone out West who wants to come back to the Southeast. I think someone's going to do that. So I don't know that it's South Carolina, but I think someone's going to do it. And if South Carolina cannot improve, I could make a strong case as to why it may be them. South Carolina fans are really liking the idea of Billy Napier, a former Alabama staff member, former Clemson staff member. He's doing a great job at Louisiana. I don't, do we call them Louisiana Lafayette anymore? Or is it just Louisiana? I, man, I got scolded after they beat my Iowa uh, or Stop. Iowa State. When you yeah. say my, you uh, did oh, not do two degree temperature winters in Ames for a whole year. Your, well, your, I, your, my shtick is killing me. I've got a t-shirt on right now. No. And you know what it says? You know what it says? It says ISU. It doesn't say we SU. It says oh. ISU. All right. I'm throwing you off after that. Thank you, Josh. All right, man. That's going to do it for today's episode of the College Football Daily. We'll keep a, keep an eye on this Wisconsin quarterback situation. We'll keep you updated on the, the big college football news that you all need to know, as we always do. Thanks to Josh Pate for joining the show. Thanks to Tiny Levitt, our producer, for putting this thing together. My name is Trey Scott. We will talk to you on Wednesday.